This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have a news update from the Mutual Broadcasting System. First broadcast on August 5th, 1942. It's delivered by Fulton Lewis as he reports on the war effort on the home front. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you can find link to, links to past episodes as well as the books featured in our podcasts. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Gentlemen, this is Fulton Lewis, Jr., speaking from the studios of radio station WOL in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Well, to begin with this evening, the President's War Labor Board handed down a very important decision today in connection with that seething question of stabilizing wages. And it happened to be the first incident in which the stabilizing part of the policy has come to light. Heretofore, they've stated the policy as a policy in the course of granting wage increases, first to the little steel industry, then to a large group of office and apartment house workers, service workers in New York City. The board explained on those two occasions that the reason they were granting the increases was that the workers, in those cases, had not received any increase in pay since before January 1st of last year, and the board felt they were entitled to an increase to make up for the 15% rise in the cost of living since that time. The implication of the policy was that the rulings was that if the workers had received enough of an increase to counteract that increase in the cost of living since January 1st, 1941, they were not entitled to anything more. But it was only an implication. That is, it was only an implication until this afternoon when the board ruled on a wage increase demand by some 2,750 workers of the General Cable Company at Bayonne and Perth Amboy, New, New Jersey. The finding was that those workers have received adequate pay increases during that period and that, therefore, the workers are not entitled to anything more, which, of course, 
finishes the official establishment of this policy on the record by means of decisions. There was one vitally important and interesting sidelight of that decision, too. A sentence that was sort of tossed in, apparently by way of an answer to the argument of Mr. Leon Henderson, who, as you know, has been uh, disapproving, frowning on any of these wage increases, regardless of whether the workers have or have not received a boost in pay in the last year and a half. I told you about that point of view by Mr. Henderson on Monday evening. This one little sentence that was tossed into the decision today said that the total cost of this policy of the board, if it is carried out for all workers of the nation alike, will be only one and one-half percent of the total payroll of the nation. The tacit suggestion being that that is not going to do much damage in the way of causing inflation. Mr. Henderson says, you know, that any increase tends to cause an increase in the cost of living. The only two members of the War Labor Board who voted against this decision today were the CIO representatives, the CIO having been none too friendly to the whole policy from the beginning. The American Federation of Labor representative on the War Labor Board, who was present today, voted in favor of the ruling. About the synthetic rubber bill, which is on President Roosevelt's desk awaiting his veto, there are reports in very reliable circles tonight that what the President is planning to do is send the bill back to Congress with that veto and to announce at the same time that he is having an exhaustive scientific investigation of the whole synthetic rubber mess made by some outstanding unbiased scientist or perhaps by a small committee of outstanding unbiased scientists. My information is that the investigation is to be conducted just as quickly as possible with a view to finding out whether any changes should be made in the rubber program as it's now set up in the interest of getting actual production of synthetic rubber more quickly. I don't know what better solution there is than that. The tragedy is that it wasn't done months ago when there was still time to get some real results. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but it's been almost two months now since you and I began going into this synthetic rubber picture, a sacrosanct forbidden picture it was then. And if they had made the changes and gotten rid of the inertia and taken a little action then, we'd be far, far ahead now. As it is, all this time is lost because... Little men in big places couldn't bring themselves to admit that their past decisions were anything but 100% perfect. Two months of rubber production lost in a race against a dwindling stockpile. It may be that the president will announce his veto and the appointment of this scientific research committee or individual by the end of this week. Now about Mr. Henry J. Kaiser and his program to use his shipbuilding facilities on the Pacific coast for the production of huge new cargo airplanes... A great deal has happened today. As I told you last week, there was a great deal of skepticism about that program when Mr. Kaiser came to Washington last Thursday. There were those, and many of them, who said that it would be impossible to get engines for the planes. It would be impossible to get aluminum or the necessary steel. There was definite sales resistance, if you will, in many, many, almost all quarters. Since that time, Mr. Kaiser has been taking those points in a calm, quiet way. He's a most mild-mannered individual for one who has done all that he has done. Uh, he answered them one at a time with facts and figures, quietly. And to those of us who have been watching the procedure, it's been almost fascinating to see the weakening of that sales resistance, first here, then in some other quarter. The War Production Board experts... The Navy Department experts, Under Secretary of War Patterson, 
where they started with an antagonistic attitude. They, they melted a bit first, then they said they'd look into it. Now most of those attitudes are definitely on the favorable side, as you'll see by some very important and exclusive news, which I'll give you in just a moment. The fact is that Mr. Kaiser has deeply impressed Washington by the very simple medium of having all the answers to all the problems before he ever set foot here. You may have heard him last night on this program say that if we haven't enough steel, we'll make steel. If we haven't enough nickel or chrome, we'll get that somehow. That problems ought to be solved, and the side that does solve them is the side that wins the war. On the other hand, it certainly is to the undying credit of those Navy and Maritime Commission and Army and War Production Board officials who started in with their sales resistance that they did not allow stubborn, hide-bound tradition to warp their judgment. It takes honest thinking, believe me, to toss overboard in three or four days the ingrained training and teaching and theories of old-line officers and old-line Navy training that has been ingrained for 30 years and to accept just willy-nilly in three or four days a brand-new, totally revolutionary idea. I think the reason for Mr. Kaiser's success here is that while he might be listed as all that, all that claim about we would make steel if we didn't have it, we'd produce the nickel and chrome, that might be listed as mere empty talk for most people. But Mr. Kaiser has a record that proves that he has solved that sort of problem time and time again in the past. There's one incident I think you'd be interested in, in the construction of the huge Shasta Dam on the West Coast, when he had the problem of providing 10 million tons of sand and gravel for the concrete work on that dam, and the only available sand and gravel deposit for him with, with which he could do the job uh, was a deposit 10 miles away from the dam site across a range of mountains. The railroad from the gravel pits went only as far as the town of Redding, which was still a mile and a half from the dam site, and the railroad refused to build the additional mile and a half of track because they said that the river frequently went on a rampage and was likely to tear up the track as fast as they put it down. The way Mr. Kaiser solved that apparently insolvable problem was to build a conveyor belt. That is one of those endless rubber belts that carries material along on it from the gravel deposit over, over the mountains and direct to the dam site. He had it in operation in 60 days, and the cost of moving the gravel, including the total original cost of the conveyor belt itself, as well as the cost of operating it, amounted to about half what the transportation would have cost by rail. Now the news that I have for you on this question tonight is just this. There is one man in this government who really has the final supreme say-so as to whether this program of giant cargo ships by Mr. Kaiser is to go ahead or whether it's not. That man is none other than Mr. Donald Nelson, the head of the War Production Board. Mr. Kaiser talked to him today at considerable length. It was quite a long conference. They went over details and plans and every possible consideration. I talked to Mr. Nelson later this afternoon after that meeting with Mr. Kaiser was over, and Mr. Nelson told me that he is confident that he is going to be able to work out this program and let Mr. Kaiser go ahead with his giant cargo ship construction plan. He said that there are three problems. First of all, the question of whether these huge ships actually will fly and whether they'll carry the necessary payload to make them worthwhile. On that score, the aeronautic experts of the War Production Board insist that they will, particularly Mr. Grover Loning, who is one of the outstanding aircraft engineers of the nation and who's on the staff of the War Production Board. He guarantees it. Problem number two, Mr. Nelson told me, 
is how and where to get the necessary critical materials such as aluminum and steel and other things. And problem number three is how to get the necessary equipment and machine tools to accomplish the actual production itself. Mr. Nelson told me that he believes that he has a solution for both of those problems. He may have to do some shifting here and there, and he may have to adopt some alternative ideas in one place or another, but the long and short of it is that Mr. Donald M. Nelson is determined to go ahead with his superplane production program as proposed by the amazing Mr. Henry J. Kaiser. Mr. Nelson told me that he's convinced that Mr. Kaiser can and will produce these planes. By way of corroboration, Mr. Nelson told regular news reporters later this afternoon that a special uh, war production board committee, which he had named to investigate the, the cargo uh, plane program, has recommended to him that the cargo plane program be at least doubled and that he, Mr. Nelson, has placed responsibility uh, for achieving that in the hands of the Army and the Navy. So we're on our way. Nazi submarines are helpless against flying freight cars 10,000 feet above them. The president kept his appointment pat almost blank today and spent most of his time reviewing the verdict of the military commission that tried the Nazi saboteurs, or to put it another way, deciding whether any or all of the eight men must pay the death penalty. So it looks as though it won't be long now before we know the final outcome of that vitally interesting case. Incidentally, the case of the saboteurs has resulted in a mighty interesting little sequel. Uh, the United States Coast Guard is now in the market for horses as a result of their capture. Uh, not sea horses, mind you, but the honest-to-goodness equine uh, variety. The, the saboteurs, you remember, were landed on our beaches from, Ger Americans, uh, from uh, German submarines. Now the Coast Guard is going to mount a goodly number of its men on horses so that they can patrol all the beaches more effectively than they possibly could do on foot. Uh, quite a number of expert horsemen have already been recruited to carry on the work, so let's hope that this latest development will turn out to be a horse on Hitler. And that's the top of the news as it looks from here, ladies and gentlemen. Until tomorrow evening, good night. Broadcasting system.